Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. You may be seated. (laughs) Y'all, I don't know what this looks like from out there, but this is about the most beautiful thing I've seen in about a year. God bless you all for being here. So I wonder whether someday some graduate student in linguistics will tell the story of 2020 in terms of how we use the English language and maybe even how our language changed. Languages change, you know. To modern ears, the felicitous old King James translation of Psalm 119 verses 147, for example, is confusing. When the psalmist says, I prevented the dawning of the morning... It sounds like he had superpowers even beyond that of whomever invented daylight savings time. It sounds like he stopped the rotation of the earth, even if he wouldn't have understand that's how the dawn actually works. Now, according to Merriam-Webster, prevent means first to keep from happening or existing. Maybe you knew that. You have to read on to the fourth definition, which is labeled archaic, to see that prevent used to mean to go before or arrive before. Now, there was no particular Tuesday in Christendom when a committee decided that the meaning of the word prevent needed to shift, but it did. If I'd sent an email to the whole congregation saying I plan to prevent all of you to the Levitt Shell this morning, you might not think I was saying I was just going to get here earlier. Like that psalmist who got up before the dawn one day to cry. Don't you love it when a preacher begins a sermon with a digression into the dictionary, gripping, gripping stuff? Well, even though we're all about prevention in the age of coronavirus, this isn't actually one of the words I've noticed we've been using more frequently or more intensely or even in slightly different ways. A few months ago, a poet friend texted me and the message read, Can I just say I wish people would stop saying uptick and spike with such sadistic pleasure? I asked whether he felt the same about the word surge, and he said it didn't quite have that abrasive ka sound, but it was getting close to annoying slash terrorizing. Maybe you've also noticed that the word unprecedented is being used at unprecedented levels in our lives, or that bubble has become a verb. Actually, bubble has been a verb for a while now, but it used to describe only the way fountains, champagne bottles, or effervescent personalities sent their contents up and into the air, right? Prior to 2020, I don't recall ever having heard bubbling used to mean occupying the inside of a protective metaphorical membrane with certain people. Do you? Neither does my dictionary. Or it is possible that we haven't been able to prevent a shocking uptick, spike, and surge in just overthinking things given our bubbled existences, which Ardell at least says the possibilities of that's very high with someone she knows. The Feast of All Saints, I think, is meant to go on the hearts of Christian people in a number of ways. One is that it's meant to expand our bubbles 
By expanding the bubble, our, our definition of the church lives within. Another is to see that church, and by extension, the whole of humanity, as a living, growing, emergent, interconnected whole, of which any one of us is a tiny but utterly unique and essential part. The communion of saints is vast and old and wonderful and awful at times, and it would be sadly incomplete if it did not include you. A little over a century ago, G.K. Chesterton famously got at the first point when he wrote, Tradition means giving votes to the most obscure of all classes, our ancestors. It is the democracy of the dead. Tradition refuses to submit to the small and arrogant oligarchy of those who merely happen to be walking about. Lovely, isn't it? The tradition that is all saints is one way we expand the number of lives to which our lives are bound. It's one way we learn to listen to people whose experiences of the world were wildly different from our own, which means they could see things we can't see, wonder about things that may seem settled to us, hope for things we haven't the heart to hope for anymore. People who can somehow still provide us fresh and faithful perspectives on what it means to be a human child of the God of the heavens, even if they were writing psalms about the sunrise, not knowing which celestial body circles which. All Saints is the church's annual attempt to get us to live in a larger bubble and hopefully become better ancestors ourselves. But bubbles have boundaries. Actually, bubbles are boundaries. That's what they are, right? So why have them? If God is one with a capital O, why should there be edges that define one group of God's children over and against another? If God's love has no limits, why should our definition of the church? Well, this is where I think we may need to unlearn something our bodies are confronted with every day right now. Because the purpose of defining the edges of the Christian church by something like baptism ought to be a near-perfect inversion of why we bubble in the days of COVID-19. It's not to make sure we're not infected by those dangerous people on the outside. It's to prevent our getting away from the mess of humanity that's ended up here with us on the inside, inside the vast bubble of grace and damage we call the Christian church. It's a little like our approach to Scripture, Thick as it is, almost all of the beautiful, godly, profound, and edifying things ever, ever written were left out of the Bible. It's not just the Gospels of Thomas and Mary Magdalene languishing outside the canon of Scripture. It's, it's, it's Saints, Saints Augustine and Julian of Norwich. It's Confucius and Shakespeare and Toni Morrison and Mary Oliver and the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, just to name a few that come quickly to mind. No, the bigger scandal of Scripture is, is not what got left out. It's what our forebears had the gall to leave in. You've read a bunch of it just by coming to church. You've heard the testimonies of those wandering Middle Eastern nomads, and you've seen their first great prophet waving away buzzards after he's cut up quite a bit of livestock so God can pass through the carnage as a smoking fire pot in the night. Spies in cities are saved by prostitutes. Battles are won when prophets like Deborah send generals in their chariots off into a panic, one of them to be finished off with a tent peg to the temple by another terrifying woman named Jael. 
And then there's the whole beautiful but flawed character that is David, adulterous, murdering, poet, king, who's said to be the man after God's own heart as well. And if you think everything gets better once we get to Jesus, well, remember he wasn't exactly a fan of the nuclear family, and he told stories about people not getting into banquets because they're wearing the wrong outfit, and the whole Bible ends with the psychedelic vision of one of his disciples, one of whose milder scenes we read a few minutes ago about a great and terrible ordeal his saints have had to wash from their garments with the blood of a lamb, which somehow makes them white. All right. Maybe that quick trip through a small handful of scriptures, more colorful moments of weirdness and wildness is unnecessary. And some of the most wondrously beautiful, grace-filled, heart-expanding stuff ever written is in there as well. But do you see the connection? It's through the witnesses of all these forebears in times and places and stories that are unimaginably strange to us that the hope of the good news of redeeming grace comes to us. If Scripture is allowed to work on our hearts, it will not do so by limiting the boundaries of where we might encounter the God of unconditional, unlimited love. The boundaries of the Bible won't let us get away from these stories, insisting that these are our people, whether we like them or not. If we've been baptized into the Christian bubble... The terrifying thing is who's in here on the inside with us. But this is also the terrifying truth that still has the power to make us free. You see, it can actually be pretty easy to love everybody, as Amber reminded us last week. But it can be hell to love particular people sometimes. And some people any of the time. The Bible and the communion of saints are ways the church forms us in this notion that the perfect, creative, self-giving love of God was not made for a less troubling world than ours or less troubling people than us. In fact, it's been witnessed in worlds far weirder than our best science fiction writers have yet to imagine. And still the church grows on. The boundaries of our bubble continue to stretch and expand with every baptism as they will when we baptize little Brit in just a few minutes. His life, whatever it holds, whatever he chooses, whoever he becomes, in all the wonders and terrors that will play out in story, Brit now lives within our bubble. He's not just our responsibility, someone we're promising to love and nurture and pray for and form in the way of Jesus. He will also expand the ongoing story of the communion of saints by one. He'll be one more life, and all of his life will be included in the definition of Jesus' church, a church that will be changed by his inclusion just as it was by yours. It shouldn't surprise you that anything I've just put forth that's the least bit faithful and true to Jesus is embedded much more concisely in his Beatitudes which are lovely comforts, but also cut to the quick. There are no tent pegs or bloody goats, but every last one of them pushes our definition of blessedness out to include a few more people we're inclined to see as cursed, aren't they? One by one, Jesus adds people to the bubble of blessedness. That one over there with the broken and impoverished spirit, blessed. The ones wailing with loss and heartbreak, they're blessed. The meek ones, 
those who can't find any peace in their spinning minds because the world is such an unrighteous place, blessed. Same for the merciful, the pure hearts, the makers of peace, the persecuted ones. And so are you. And not just when you're happy and centered and well, but when you're reviled and counted among what's evil for, for who you are or what you've done or for whatever dark demon your presence stirs up in the person who's doing the reviling just now. Blessed, all of you, and every last part of you is blessed. Friends, I know I keep preaching the same sermon. But I hope the truth of all saints and the difficult transformation Jesus' way can work on our lives seeps only deeper into us today. Like oil into the bones, as the psalmist once said, in a strange metaphor from a world far from mine that feels somehow truer to what we need than anything I'll ever imagine or produce. Our world, our country, our neighborhoods, our families need people who have let the way of Jesus soak into their bones. Maybe especially this week, as we vote in what I suspect the saints among us here, even who've voted in presidential elections a dozen times or more, may say is the strangest and harshest and most severely divided of them all, as we seem to be bubbling ever more tightly with only our own kind. So maybe it's sufficient to the day that we just commit to take the wisdom of all saints with us into the particular week that is to come. To let the scandalous inclusion of all sorts of sinners, us chief among them on some days, in this bubbled and beloved Christian family that paradoxically be what breaks down what separates us from one another and reveals in the concrete and complicated instance that is right here and right now that in God, we, warring and scattered humans, are never more and never less than one. Amen. If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.